I'm slipping away. Day after day after day after day after day, not a day goes by. I listen to the podcast every when it, when it comes out, um, and I hear our little theme song that you made. And it's super cute, and I always wanted to segue into us doing the, and then we start, you, you know. But I think we're too scatterbrained to have that happen. No, we should. I'll do a clap. You do a clap. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Broken Art Podcast. My name is Adam, your co-host. And I'm Callie, your other co-host. The Broken Art Podcast is where we talk about all things music, theater, performing arts. I was thinking about this on my drive back from school today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we, can, we give a lot of advice. We are people who like talking about our craft and stuff. And like, we have like a lot of like things in common. Like, I was a, I'm a choir person, you were a choir person, we're both theater people in our own unique ways, but like, I'm not a dancer, but mm. you dance, you mm-hmm. know? So like, I feel like I'm a charlatan when I say all things performing arts, because I have two left feet. My roommate, um, they are, um, they're, they're a theater major as well currently, um, and they just had to do this dance audition in our kitchen because campus was closed um but they were asked to like improvise some dance over like a song or whatever and i'm like what the heck i can't even oh i love that stuff i love i love that stuff i would literally start like doing the worst kind of dance moves i started doing like the disco thing and like shopping cart and mowing the (laughs) lawn like it's not because i think it's a joke but it's because I literally cannot think of, like, I can talk mm-hmm. fast and I can make stuff up on the fly. Like, I've been doing improv for many, many years. But, like, body-wise, like, anything more than, like, a stupid gesture at any given time, like, I can't, <laughs> you, you know, I just can't. I, the best thing I can do is a disco move. And that's why, transition, I thrived in doing opera and stuff. I love, I love doing opera. I've been in a couple operas. Um, And this is our second episode of the Diva series. Um, And so that's why I brought up opera because we were talking about a very, very, very famous, very intelligent opera singer. But before we get into who this fantastic person is, Callie, what's like your experience or understanding of opera? I am probably in the same realm uh, as you are with dance, I would say, <laughs> since we're just talking sure, about that. Sure. Um, I adore the craft. Um, you know, our hometown has a very, like, classical music. Uh, we respect it a lot, and we kind of have a focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was always around it. I always had, an, like, just a, an appreciation and a love. And what I love most about it in terms of my lessons was how technical it was and I loved Mm -hmm. how even though it it's frustrating and dumb that the expectation in the opera world is perfection Mm -hmm. um but there was something about the challenge of getting there and Mm -hmm. finding all the little kinks that I really enjoyed about it I was in one opera uh, through our summer program. Oh, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was a, a featured ensemble in the Fle- Mouse. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? I, I yeah. never. Okay. There's always a stigma around opera uh, that everything's elitist and, you know, prim and nose mm-hmm. up kind of thing. Uh, and while in some ways that can be true. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I would challenge everyone who's listening who maybe hasn't already to try to stop and 
and, and really understand what the craft is because the craft mm-hmm. is what it is right it's completely different than everything else mm-hmm. and once you get in there and like appreciate what these people are doing and what they're going through to get this production mm-hmm. out i mean it's it's amazing so i i don't have a lot of knowledge but that, it's yeah. ins- it's insane um kind of um what these performers have to i think any like really top tier performer with a sacrifice that they um go through to uh, make quality art i think is very astounding um and i respect it a great deal um i got through opera in ways of in high school doing a production of pirates of penzance and uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. I loved that show. A lot of the people on the show with me were kind of like, eh, it's kind of old time sound, but I love that. I, I was an orchestra kid for many years at that time. And so I had a appreciation for like the classical parts of it mm-hmm. and stuff. And then in college, um, I did a production of HMS Pinafore, also by Gilbert and Sullivan. And then just after that, my love for it kind of blew up and stuff. Um, I made many, many friends who were vocal performance majors. Um, they introduced me to some things. I think I participate, I've been in like like three, four operas um, as a performer and I've conducted four different opera productions and stuff. I just love the craft so much. But these mm-hmm. people not only have to practice their butts off, they also have to take care of their instrument, which is their voice. And it is, it's such a fickle thing, your voice. You know, your flute won't get a cold, you know. Mm-hmm. Your, your violin won't get whooping cough the day before a performance of Messiah, right? Um, and so the great labors that they have to go through to protect their voice. I think a lot about um, what Patti Lapone had to go through um, with the Vita. Like, that's how intense um, a lot of these people have to keep their voices and stuff because some of these soprano roles you're singing in the stratosphere or in these tenor roles for three and a half hours or whatever. And you have to rest that because that's the thing that's pulling in your rent money and your car money and all these different things. Um, So that's why I wanted our next diva to be kind of like this person who kind of breaks the mold of what a traditional quote unquote opera person is or what people think an opera person is. So today we are talking about Joyce DiDonato. Um, oh. She is so good. Um, I texted Callie earlier today. I was like, how are you feeling about this episode? Because I, I have loved and appreciate uh, Miss DiDonato's work for many, many years. But I know, Callie, you were kind of not, you didn't know who she was. No, I saw like a video of her, like a little small clip from one of her Carnegie Hall master classes like a mm-hmm. year ago. And I was like, wow, this is really awesome. Scroll. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just <laughs> yeah. kind of, I didn't look into it. That's about it. Mm-hmm. So this is a lot of the research that, that went into this week's episode was, I think there's a lot of cool artistic philosophy stuff that Callie picked up on. And I really um, dove, dive, dove, dove, did um, deep into kind of her bio and stuff um, because her, her resume is insane. It's, it's truly crazy. Um, But this is a series called Diva. We're not talking about realistic people. We're talking about people who just are the masters at their craft and have some stuff to brag about at the end of the day. Before I go into like some like history stuff with Ms. DiDonato, do you have anything you want to like say or anything before I just jump in? Um, I, I'm just going to say <laughs> I became very obsessed with this person, with this artist very quickly just because of how uh um magnetic her voice and her uh energy is um I, you know i couldn't get enough of what she was saying mm-hmm. uh and i 
fortunately have a job where I can kind of listen to podcasts or like listen to music while I'm doing the work. I literally spent the last two days for 10 plus hours in a row just <laughs> listening to Joyce DiDonato uh, masterclasses and interviews and everything that I could get because I just, I, I almost wish that I was singing with them because I, I feel like I was also learning so much just by hearing mm. her talk and just the resonance of her voice and how calming and soothing and nurturing it is. It's oh my gosh. Amazing. She, she, she's absolutely, um, she, she's, she's so good. Um, not obviously she's one of the best performers of, of her generation, uh, but also the best, one of the best philosophers about performing and the reason for music and in what ways music can be a venue for change in this world, not just internal, but external as well. Um, when I was taking my high school theory class, um, we were on this unit about performance, I think, and our instructor showed us a video of Miss Donato um, in a masterclass. And she talked about the little voice inside of our heads that tells that we can't do it. And I got like big Brene Brown vibes from her, mm -hmm. you know, but that like really changed my frame of reference about how we perform and like the inner confidence that we have versus the little voice inside of our head that may tell us sometimes that we don't have it. Um, it really changed my perspective on performing. But anyway, let's get into her life and work. She, she is so cool. Um, she's from Kansas, everybody. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw, Kansas. Um, she was born in 1969. She went to um, a Catholic school. Um, she went to Wichita State University for music education in 1988. Mm -hmm. So she started off, she got her degree from Wichita as a vocal music education person because she wanted to do a lot of classroom music and she wanted to do musical theater mm -hmm. um, as well. She wanted to teach and be all part of that biz and stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's she talks about this like very frequently too, uh, just she had growing up in this Catholic family in the Midwest and the kind of Midwest mentality of, you know, be good, be decent, do your work, pick yourself up, but you're not better than anyone else. You know, don't be too good. You uh -huh. know? And also like, don't feel too sorry for yourself because the person next to you is probably going through something worse kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was just this very, she talks a lot about the big word at the dinner table being vocation. What is your vocation? What's mm -hmm. it going to be? You know? And so such she, a Catholic thing. I so know. I, I'm Catholic. <laughs> so like, I, I get it. <laughs> and, and so she kind of grew up with this expectation uh, of just serving the community. Her dad was a uh, volunteer church choir director. Um, and she grew up kind of playing the piano could hold her own in choir, but was never really seen as a singer. Mm -hmm. So she went to college straight for music education. Uh, at college, she was paired up with a roommate, you know, just by chance, who happened to be um, a vocal major and a music performance major. Huh. Um, and that roommate also happened to be the daughter of this, like, house tenor of uh kansas city oh wow um and so there was a connection of that or was it wichita but was a house tenor of, of somewhere um so there was a connection there and i think that's when she saw her first opera in person another little tidbit that i want to put in there um because i think it's important was that she was considering it and and was like oh, i don't i don't know because I, I don't, it feels really selfish to like be an opera star and be a diva and like all this mm -hmm. stuff. It feels very, and she didn't want to do that. And, and having gone. Oh, well, uh -oh she's on the diva <laughs> series. Oh no. And look where I got you, Joyce. <laughs> okay. Joyce, come on. What are you thinking? I'm on the podcast, Joyce. We come know on you're the listening. Podcast. Joyce, go on the podcast. <laughs> As part of her teacher uh, training, she was out in the field and she was student teaching, of course. Um, and she was working with these six-year-olds 
she was automatically placed in like schools that had a lot of trouble and a lot Mm -hmm. of you know, low-income families and just a lot of kids that are just dealing with a lot of stuff. And so when she was having these revelations and considering, she's like, I don't, I need to be a good teacher. You know, there, there needs to be good people to take care of these kids who are going through unimaginable circumstances. Why, why should I have the quote-unquote easy life and fame of you know, a diva and a singer and whatever. Um, Until she spoke to her father, uh, where her father said, Joyce, you can teach in more ways than just that. You Mm -hmm. can reach people in other ways. And she took that and that was kind of her validation and that was her grace and that propelled her forward. Uh, we love supportive parents. We love, um, without Joyce's dad, we wouldn't have so many great recordings. Ah! <laughs> One of the big captivators was um, when she was in college, she saw this PBS uh, production uh, or casting of Don Giovanni by Mozart. And apparently that was like one of the, oh my gosh. So she, she graduated, 92. Uh, music education, but then decided, you know, I'm going to be a vocal performance person. This is what I want to do. And so in 1992, um, she went to the Academy of Vocal Arts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, After being there, um, she understudied and played some minor roles um, with the Santa Fe Opera um, from 94 to 95 um, in the Apprentice Singer Program. Um, so what a lot of people don't know when, when they start out in college, um, I know for me, I didn't know this about vocal performance majors, but like, it takes a long time to get a career up and running in opera. Um, that's not to say that there aren't a lot of people on the broadways who came to it later in life per se, but mm-hmm. there's a lot more young 20 year old people 20s on the Broadway stage than there is on per se like the Met stage or whatever um because of the voice your voice really doesn't I I heard this verbiage that doesn't stop growing till like in your like early 30s or whatever thank god (laughs) (laughs) right um and so a lot of these people go into these young artist programs after they um, do their masters and stuff so they can get um, experience doing smaller roles, mm. um, doing traveling production, kid production. I have a friend who's an opera person in Texas right now, and she did like this kids opera sort of thing of like the three billy goats and stuff. Um, <laughs> Like that's like that's that's the thing that you do um, Uh because like any performing arts um, vocation, you just have to get so much experience under your belt that you can objectively choose what stuff to put on your resume. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it's not the only things that you have. It's like here are the things. Here's my bag of tricks that I can put on this. so yeah, she participated in the Apprentice Singer program in Santa Fe, and then from 96 to 98, she was part of the Houston Grand Opera's um, Young Artist Program. Um, throughout her time, um, she became a district winner of the Met um, Opera National Council auditions. Um, she was first placed in the Stewart Awards, and she won the George London competition. All of those are stupidly big deals uh, <laughs> um, especially someone who hasn't like really like started in their career yet um, well she had a career but like it wasn't it was before her big splash yeah well and she the fact that she even kind of came to the game late you know most of these artists are starting in high school are starting their training mm-hmm. in high school and she mm-hmm. just kind of she had to take voice lessons for her teaching classes and then like being with the opera student she would like had this great appreciation for what it takes and she's Mm -hmm. like I wonder if I could do that and then she just went and did it it. (laughs) I think that's also 
I think that's also such a beautiful thing, kind of like it's this the Midwestern. I think it's mm-hmm. the uh, I'm just it makes me feel good. I'm just gonna do yeah. it. Yeah, I'm just gonna try it out. I'm just gonna. Yeah. Try, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just gonna try it out. Okay. And then her trying it out turned into her being multi Grammy award winning. Right. Here are some of her, you know, just kind of staples of her and what she does. Um, she is obviously a fantastic opera performer. Um, watching her on stage is absolutely entrancing. Look her up. Look her up performing. She is so honest and so raw. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, she also um, has a concert career um, with a lot of art songs and stuff. Um, some Berio, some Schubert, all of these, all, everything, all of the other things, Depart, all of them, just, just all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's done some jazz. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> um, she's been on the Met. She's one of those staple uh, billboard artists that people will pay thousands of dollars to go see. Um, Carnegie Hall, Chicago Symphony, the Kennedy Center, Orchestra Philharmonique de Strasbourg, um, Royal Opera House, Vienna State Opera, New York Philharmonic. Um, those are like the ones that like, oh, I think people will like know about this because she's been to so many places, so many famous places and venues that I thought it would be redundant if I listed them all <laughs> because they're all top shelf A-list five-star uh, places. Um, so she got her kickoff 1999. Houston Grand Opera is Meg and Little Women um, by Mark Adamo. Um, Carabino in The Marriage of Figaro um, with the Santa Fe Opera. That's by Mozart. And, and she did um, so Seattle Symphony production of Handel's Messiah. Fun fact, everyone, if you didn't know this, Handel's Messiah is my favorite piece of classical work of all time, of all time, of all time. Moving on. Um, so that's the 99-2000 season, 2001. She was in La Cerrentola by Rosini as Angelina, um, Dorabella in Così Fan Tutte by Mozart, and a soloist for the Bach B minor mass, um, where she made her Carnegie Hall debut, fun fact. Um, and so many other things after this. I'm going to list so many things. Uh, she was Sesto in Handel's Giulio Cesare, Rosina in Barbara Seville, the title role of Adina by Rosini. Um, she did this um, very famous um, song set by Berrios called Le Nuit d'Ete. Um, she was Idamante in Endomineo by Mozart. She was a soloist for Beethoven's Nine. Is a uh, Elisabetta and Donizetti's Maria Stuarda, uh, Donna Elvira in Don Giovanni. Um, when performing at the Royal Opera House, um, she performed, oh, 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 sorry. This kind of got lost in my notes, but I wanted to put a put pause in here because I love this fact and she is stupidly dedicated. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Do you want to say this one? <laughs> During one of the runs of Barbara of Seville, she broke her leg on stage. <laughs> and, oh. and she had three hours left of the show. She was like totally in performance mode, first of all. That when it happened, she didn't even realize it and stood, continued to stand on it for three hours, which later her doctor was like, don't that was not the right thing to do (laughs) not the mood not the mood right so she was required to be in a wheelchair yet she still wanted to do these last like finish out her weeks in the performance the last five five yeah and uh and so she talks about how grueling the rehearsal process but amazing it was because they got really really specific with with how the show was working and everyone was on the same page and the directors had left during the run they had just directed during rehearsals and they left so she broke her leg and then the assistant director uh and the stage manager they everyone kind of had to figure out what to do wow Right. And, uh, and, she, and 
her and her castmates were so amazing about it, but she got this pink tape wrapped around her foot to match mm-hmm. like the top of her costume but she also said for her character like how perfect it was because she was so bold um but yet she's trapped the entire show right so mm-hmm. in physicality she is also now confined to this wheelchair yet she's so independent um and the stage itself for that show was raised up and then tilted so she <laughs> she had to like play everything on this stage that was flat in front of the actual stage uh and there was like talk about well should we have her be pushed by someone we don't want her to like fall into the orchestra right uh but she was (laughs) but she was like no no i think this character you know this character would be independent wouldn't be pushed around by someone (laughs) it's like okay sure joyce Uh, sure and uh one of her scenes they they got done with the first act good well then in the second act she realized that in one of her scenes she was directed to go around her room and destroy it and destroy the furniture and like everything like that and so what she ended up doing was using her castmate to literally quite literally walk the part on the stage while she's down in the front singing uh and pretty much since this was unrehearsed literally unrehearsed she basically directed her castmate to you know everything was choreographed to be pushed on a beat or be kicked on a beat and literally had to choreograph on the spot just by like motioning with her voice and like how she was singing to uh for her castmate to destroy this room it was insane wild (laughs) wild just wild yeah if I have, a, like, a hurt toe, I'm laid up for a week. Homegirl brings down the house whilst in a wheelchair. I can no longer complain about anything. <laughs> no, right? Because, like, it's so scary. Imagine if your director hears about this story. And like, oh, Mr. Director, I have a cough. It was like... She was in a wheelchair for crying out loud. You can do this production of Bye Bye Birdie. No one has an excuse anymore, and that's scary. No, no one has an excuse anymore. Like, okay, here's the thing about online learning. Fun fact, there's going to be no more snow days. Think about it. There's no more snow days. <laughs> You're so right, and I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more. Like, even when things go back to quote-unquote normal, like, now people know a way around it. Yeah. Now even when like, you're sick, you could still hop on Zoom. Hop on the Zoom.com, right? Weird. Crazy. Yeah. What a time we live in. But anyway, way back to... go. to <laughs> Way to go, Joyce. <laughs> DiDonato. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thanks uh, for that. Thank, thanks for that. Um, so, yeah. I just listed a whole bunch of things that she's done in her career. Uh, recently, um, she uh, released an album called In War and Peace, Harmony Through Music um, that she made after the 2015 Paris um, attacks. In 2019, she repli- uh, replaced, <laughs> in 2019, <laughs> she released um, an album called Songplay where it mixes jazz, like Latin and tango, into Italian Baroque arias and jazz standards and the great American songbook. Like, she is so, like, always pushing herself um, as an artist. Like, she's really good at what she does, and a lot of people stay in what they do really. Mm-hmm. A lot of people plant their feet in it and darn it, this is what I'm going to be because this one's going to pay my bills, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was telling Joyce, hey, in order to be successful, you need to make these albums that are outside of what you're known for. I don't think anyone said that to her. I think that's that's just who she is um, as an artist and the just amazing way um, that she believes the inner and outer transformative magic of music and performing. I, it just blows my yeah, mind. Yeah, she did 
an NPR desk, a tiny desk concert. Mm-hmm. And she opens the set with Say To Mommy, but she does it yeah. in this like swung jazz Cuban fusion. I'm like, what <laughs> is this? What's going on? But it was um, amazing. And she does it well. There, I'm not going to say the specific video, um, but there's a video. I'm going to show you this after Callie. Um, it's like this electro, like dubstep remix of this aria <laughs> from the marriage of Figaro. And there's like, it's a music video. And there's like dance moves and stuff in it. Oh my. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I've been changed by it. Most recently, um, she will play the title role in Handel's um, Agrippina. Mm-hmm. Bean, Italian. I was telling Callie, um, I think this part was edited out, if it's not. Um, when I was going through my diction classes, um, Italian was my worst. For some reason, I just couldn't get it up here. And a lot, everyone says that, no, Italian's easy. French. I love French. Get off, get off my back. Um, but so I had to pause the recording sometimes to be like, okay, Callie, hold on. I need to practice saying this Italian. <laughs> um, uh, so that's a little, I pulled my own wig there. Um, and then an off the stage, um, she's performed for schools, uh, refugee camps, and like maximum, maximum security prisons and stuff. Yeah. Like, oh my God, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh my gosh, that is so fascinating. Um, so she, the one thing that really kind of separates Joyce in this opera world is just how much she gives back. Mm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. It is relentless and with everything that she possibly can fit into a trip, you know? Um, and so part of her... Uh, civil work is she goes to these prisons and <laughs> and she like teaches people music and teaches people how to compose and stuff and mm-hmm. and uh she was doing a master class with this one student and uh there was a descending line on the on the base of the piano line uh and uh she was talking about how in this prison of hers it's not her prison, but but in this prison that she's teaching at, um, they were trying to talk about like, oh, what's what's the emotion of the singer during this time? You know, it's descending and it's descending down to your death. But you know, so you should be like sad and all the all these chromatics and whatever. And then the guy raises his hand and is like, "Excuse me, with all due respect, it does descend." But then right at the end, it goes up and it resolves to a major. So in that moment, it's also like they're, se- they're seeking out their glory. Mm. And like this man, like also happened to kill a guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like, but, but oh, wow. we'll write like the most amazing uh, compositions and just mm-hmm. like can understand music and like that's kind of how I think it's such a gift to be able to do that and to be able to have those conversations and Mm -hmm. and for Joyce to be able to have her eyes open to that world and also the potential of that world Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of people inspire me uh performing arts inspire me um in ways of like their technical progress and stuff Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, how can they, you know, how can they hold that note for so long? How are the runs so fluid? How do they get the certain power or lightness in their voice? And that's not to say I, Misty Donato doesn't inspire me in that way, but she inspires me in the exact way you were saying before about how she gives back. Um, and she's doing exactly what her father suggested to her, you know, um, there's brilliant. more than one way to be a teacher and it's uh, brilliant. Um, so to close this off, here are just some, some, some of the awards 
that she has garnered. 2012 Grammy for Best Classical Vocal Solo. Side, side note, she became the first person to uh, sing a classical song at the Grammys. Just want to point that out. Okay. Really? Continue. I didn't know that. What's yeah, that she heck? was like the first like classical voice to like actually perform there. Yeah, anyway, continue. Take, take that, Casual. Hamilton. Take, take that. Uh, <laughs> we love Hamilton. Um, 2012 Grammy Best Classical Vocal Solo. 2016 Grammy Best Classical Vocal Solo. 2017 Gramophone Award for Best Recital. Recording of the Year at the 2018 Gramophone Awards. 2018 Olivier Award. 2019 Female Singer of the Year from Opus Classic. And 2020 Grammy Best Classical Vocal Vocal. vocal. Solo. I'm just so marveled that I can't even speak. That's Joyce DiDonato, who... See, and this is what I love about talking about in, in our little diva series here. The, the fact that we can maybe show, like, some of the humanity that these people have. Like, they're all humans. They all express humanity. Um... But if we all kind of get past like, oh, it's just opera. Oh, it's just musical theater. And we see like the humans and the people behind this. Like when we're talking about Patty, the sacrifices that she made um, when going through Avida. Um, um, with Misty Donato about her giving back as a performer to um, these correctional facilities and jails and, and school and all these places. Um, like all these stories are so inspiring and it should be heartwarming heartwarming as well just be like oh if they can do it i can maybe be 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 a, a, a diva too <laughs> what i love about joyce is how just human she is and she mm -hmm. talks a lot about uh this is like one of my favorite things that she talks about um she talks about in school and in her training programs, she, you know, it, it's very, especially when it's in an educational setting in colleges, um, you're taught the certain, <clears throat> the protocol, you're taught the certain protocol, sure. you know, your hair is expected to be a certain way and your heels are expected to be, your dress is, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're expected to get up there, do the slate, sing the song. And she started realizing when she was auditioning, um, she actually, one of her uh, coaches, one of her professors went to her and said, you are doing everything right. You sound amazing, but you have nothing to say and you will fail as an artist because of that. Wow. And she was like, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> after crying about it for like a month, you know, she like, she realized that she was playing the part of an opera singer. Mm -hmm. When in reality, when she finally was able to strip all of that and just walk in as herself and not, you know, not be the cliche just be herself that's when things started to happen for her mm -hmm. and so she's always led with this authenticity and she's always very very sure of what she says she you know sometimes a lot of times in interviews she's like i can't answer that question because of this this and this she's very she's like mm -hmm. one of the most self-actualized people <laughs> that i have ever seen <laughs> she wow a mad <laughs> Is that such a, like a weird thing to say? Yeah. You know, after like three weeks ago talking about like imposter syndrome and stuff. Yeah. And here, Donato being so like sure about herself. Like, I hate that that's inspiring in our culture, that there's someone <laughs> who's like actually like certain about who they are, you but, know? And, and like you said before, she is so intelligent you know she has music coming out of her hair follicles as i read in, a, <laughs> in an article um, <laughs> but it's so true i mean you watch these master classes and i highly recommend you do they're all over youtube 
Um, mm. And she just has such a way with with expressing words and, and finding the little things and understanding what the singer needs. Sometimes the singer just needs confidence and permission to exist on that stage. And she can handle that so well. The other thing that really separates Joyce Diodonato for me um, and the entire opera community uh, is how she's found a way to make opera relevant Mm -hmm. and to uh, keep her audience engaged. She is probably one of the most connected opera singers to her audience mm-hmm. she and the reason being is because she uh shares everything online she takes videos all the time she blogs um she will do q a's with her fans and she's just so mm-hmm. connected and invested in the next generation of opera singers she uh it's called opera rocks uh and it's right now it's like a tumblr page but it's for mm-hmm. all those young like high school kids that they like opera, but they're like the only kid in high school who likes mm-hmm. opera. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't really have anyone, right? And this mm-hmm. is a space to let them know that they're not alone and to so that they can talk about, you know, Marriage of Figaro and they can talk about all these shows and just mm-hmm. have a community. And yeah. she's just so, again, just relentless with how much giving this woman does for her mm-hmm. community. Um, and in keeping the arts alive and being connected. And I think it's really, really smart and valuable of her. You know, I probably wouldn't have been so caught by her if there wasn't that personal content of hers being Mm -hmm. thrown out. Yeah. So uh, she's absolutely inspiring and literally inspired me to uh, (laughs) start back up voice lessons in quarantine. So here we go. In five days. In five days. In five days, I am not prepared. (laughs) Be prepared. Our last episode. Go watch it. Be prepared. That's right. Um, Nice little transition. Now we're at my favorite part of the show where I give Callie a little acronym and she has no idea what it's going to be. W-T-W-T-Y-C-A. What? What? Why? California. (laughs) <laughs> California. Yeah. Okay. Uh what uh <clears throat> <laughs> <clears throat> Oh gosh. <clears throat> what tool? Nope. <laughs> I love so what what? What? The? Yes. <laughs> why? Why would I think it's anything other than music or the arts or anything? I uh, always. Well, here's the thing. This isn't specifically about that. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. No, it is. Okay. It. Your answer could be related, but the question in itself is not. What's the weirdest yes. thing you? can nope can't nope what's the weirdest thing you caught if you pick something up you carry yes what's the weirdest thing you carry around yes what's the weirdest thing you carry around oh 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 yeah well first of all i (laughs) I don't have pockets. <laughs> I, I seriously don't carry around stuff. <laughs> what? I don't have like a purse or any. I a few years back, I went very minimalistic and only had like. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, only had like thirty-three possessions. I'm still pretty much there. Uh, I do have a little bit more clothing though, but so when I go around, I literally carry what I will need. I've been carrying around a canvas bag for work so I can just put lunch in it but if I didn't if I didn't need that I would carry my phone with maybe a card in the back of it I've I've always I've always been prone to like be like oh do you want to get drinks and like oh my gosh I would love to and then I'm like 
I didn't put my ID in the back of my iPhone case because this is all I carry around. Um, but I will say, when I... <laughs> so my refuge this summer was being able to hike uh, up in mm. Inwood Hill Park uh, at the very, very tip of Manhattan. I loved exploring up there. It was like real trails. Who knew that you could do that? On the island of Manhattan. Your Casanova, baby. Yeah, forget it tru- about it. It truly does. Uh, but I'm, I, I love hiking. I love being out in nature. Um, I love putting myself in really dangerous situations like rock climbing with no uh, equipment. Stress. <laughs> that's stress. A, that's a story for another time. You stress uh, me out. <laughs> but I guess the weirdest thing that I would carry from that, uh, not for your typical reason. I would carry a bandana um, and I would use it as a multi-tool. I would always make sure I have a bandana. I'd use it as a multi-tool if I needed like anything, anything tied, any like grasp or hook or rope or anything. But also primarily because I would spend hours out in this park, I would have to inevitably use the bathroom and there's no bathrooms out there. (laughs) And so that's where the (laughs) you have toiletries as the weirdest thing you carry around well it's just weird because then i'd put it back in my bag oh you know and i would have to carry it around and like yeah (laughs) my god there's no way yeah Icky. So I'm We're sorry. No, <laughs> I'm no, no, no. sorry. I, I was the Boy Scout. I was a Boy Scout. I know the struggle. I don't know the struggle. I didn't. I only lasted one year in Boy Scouts. I was a Cub Scout for two years. <laughs> so what about you, Adam? What's the weirdest thing that you carry around? Com- it's the same thing. My bathroom bandana too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bathroom bandana. Um. No. So. Um. People who know me will say I am a big old music nerd um, for many, many reasons. Um, But I I used to have this, I used to be really self-conscious about my ear. Um, Not so much as like my ability to hear, but my ability to like hear and like reproduce sort of thing. Um, I remember my really, really good friend of mine, um, we were in school together. Um, she was the pitch person and stuff, um, and she used tuning forks and stuff. We didn't have anyone in choir at the time that had perfect pitch, um, so she used the tuning forks, and I thought that was magic because she just ding an A440 and like, oh, hey, here we go, you know, and then like next year, I was a pitch person, and then I used the pitch pipe, and I felt like such a weenie. <laughs> it's more consistent, though. It's more consistent and that's what I used I, in college. I will so. say though, you you do have to have kind of a technique for a pitch pipe because sometimes you do it, and either it's like, mm. listen, I've been pitch piping for five years now. <laughs> I'm pretty good at the pitch pipe. Let me tell you, um, people say it's the best pitch pipe they've ever heard. Um, <laughs> no one can blow a pitch pipe like me. Um, but anyway, um, I also have this thing where I. I'm like fairly, I'm, you know, I can piano eyes while directing rehearsal. And I had this critique one time from one of my mentors and she said, um, you're really comfortable behind the piano. Not a lot of people are comfortable behind the piano. Get out from behind the piano. And I was like, what, what do I do? Cause I was so self-conscious mm-hmm. about like my, my, my ability to like reproduce um, stuff. So the weirdest thing I carry in my pocket and hand to God, I have it right here. Is <laughs> a tuning fork. And for the longest time, um, in when I was doing choir rehearsals and stuff, um, I wouldn't. I tried to stay away from the piano as much as possible. And I, you know, I needed a pitch, and I would ding it, and then listen to it, and then blah, it would happen. Um, it was so weird one time because I was in this phonetics class, and we were talking about like sound waves. And then she's just like, oh, it's a lot like, you know, I, do you all know like pitchforks and stuff? And then I mean, I pull my, in my science class, <laughs> like a five, 10 minute walk from the music building. What a dweeb. I'm like, I'm like oh, you mean this? And, she, 
And on the last day of class, she came up to me. She was like, you know, Adam, um, that's <laughs> going to be one of my memories that <laughs> you just pulled out a pitchfork. I'm like, cool. Um, I love how you call it a pitchfork. <laughs> tuning fork, whatever you want to call it. No, it's it. hilarious. It should be called a pitchfork. <laughs> it's like, rah! Rage! <laughs> Sing the right note, dang it! Um, so yeah, I every time I'm going into a rehearsal, I always have it with me. Um, I love that. Yeah. Or if I need to like check myself during like if I'm the singer and stuff, I'm like I didn't sing that right. <laughs> It'll look like I'm like crying or whatever. Hold on, let me bring it up. Let me demonstrate for the visual people out there. Maybe like singing. I was like, all right, fix this, and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, and I get caught sometimes, and my director would look at me, and I'm like, sorry, professor. Um, Tally, where can they find us? <laughs> uh first of all you can find us on youtube which i highly recommend this is quality stuff right here it's quality content so you can find us on youtube at broken art podcast uh you can also find us on spotify apple google wherever you get your podcast on um if you want to submit a crazy question like we just witnessed it, it doesn't have to be about music theater <laughs> dance or opera uh it can be a random question you can submit your questions using the hashtag bapod uh you can also email us at brokenartpodcast at gmail.com uh you can also what is my plugging oh you can also follow our social media <laughs> yeah you can our, our social meds for, yeah know. for updates of what we're doing and some behind the scenes i think we're gonna start incorporating those too oh um, yeah um also uh if you're a youtube person or an apple music person or wherever person you get your podcast from drop a review give us those five stars yes. and write a nice comment like we love reading your nice comments i mean you can write an honest one um, but only pay attention to it if it's nice because I'm fragile. <laughs> yeah, we will only share the positive ones on the podcast. So, you know, maybe in a couple <laughs> years we'll like do the greatest hits of like the meanest ones that we get as well. Yeah. Like, it's called a tuning fork, you idiot. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. And if you um, need some PPE and stuff, personal protective equipment to mask and stuff. Uh, please email us at brokenartpodcast at the gmail.com. Um, you can contact either myself or Kelly personally about that, and we can get you hooked up. Remember, the only way we can get back to performing safely is if we safely perform now. And as always, everybody, take your broken heart, make it into art. See you next week. Bye.